Amen. All right, check this out. One day there was this lady, and she had totally wrecked her car. I mean, it wasn't just a wreck. Okay, Dave, it was, she, it was a totally horrific accident. I mean, completely smashed. And, and miraculously, though, somehow she was able to pry herself from the wreckage there and, uh, without a scratch. And then all of a sudden, right then, the state trooper, he arrived. And when he got there, he, he looked at her car and he goes, my goodness, man, this is your car. Looks like an accordion. In fact, an accordion that was stomped on by an elephant. I mean, are, are you okay? And the lady, she just chirps, why, yes, officer, I'm just fine. And the officer, he continued to survey the wreckage, and he says, well, how in the world did this happen? And that's when the lady began her story. Listen to this. She says, well, you see, officer, it was the strangest thing. I mean, the strangest thing ever. I, I was driving along this road when from out of nowhere, a tree pops out right in front of me. And, and so I swerved to the white right, and here comes another tree. And I, I, I swerved to the left, and here comes another tree. And I, I swerved to the right, here comes another tree. And I swerved to the left, and he interrupts her. And he says, man, 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 man. Hey, listen, lady, there's not a tree on this road for 30 miles. And he reaches into the car at the rearview mirror and he says, that was your air freshener. <laughs> you know, they come in the shape of trees. Live. See, when you got to explain it, you're, it's not as funny. All right. Okay. But how many guys would say that? There's some people that shouldn't be driving on the road. You know what I'm saying? Including the air freshener lady. Okay. I think it's pretty obvious. And, and, the, and the thing is, she was not only clueless, okay, to the danger, okay, and it was self-created danger, believe it or not, no matter what you want to say, okay, but man, she was fortunate to escape with her life, was she not? Okay, and folks, I'm seeing the same thing going on with you and I, the church, right? And we're clueless to some self-imposed danger. We're, we're, we're walking around life, we go, ah, and then we turn this way, ah, and then we turn this way, ah, and then we go, ah, and you know what it is? It's not the air freshener, it's you and I acting like practical atheists. <laughs> Everywhere we go, oh, why is this happening? Oh. Well, it's because we're acting like practical atheists. And we've been saying, oh, of course we say we believe in God, but half the time, take a look at our lives. What are we doing? With our lips and our lives, we act like God's not even there. And it's not just dangerous and deadly in our walk with Christ. It keeps other people from believing in Christ. Because like that trooper, they're watching us, okay? And we're pulling out of the wreck. And so to avoid this irony of you and I as Christians living like these practical atheists, but not knowing who God is, we're going to continue our study on the character of God. And where are we getting this from? Reader's Digest. Who said that? You didn't say Reader's Digest. I know you didn't say Reader's Digest. No, we're getting from where? The Bible. We're letting God define for us who he is and his character from his holy word. And we've already seen the first thing we need to know about God. He's what? Hello, he's real. We're here for a real reason. The second thing, what? God is personal. He is intimate. Jesus Christ died on the cross for what? A beautiful, loving, personal, intimate relationship with who? The creator of the universe. Absolutely phenomenal. The third thing, God is wise. He doesn't just know some things. He knows all things. He knows everything, okay? He never gets it wrong. So why would you go anywhere else when you need advice? The fourth thing, God is sovereign. He's in control of all things, even the hard times, okay? And he promises if you love him, if you love him, raise your hand. Praise God. The rest of you, I'm glad you're here. We can help you, okay? Now, if he, he's what? He says, I, and I will work all things, even the hard times, together for good for those uh, who love me. Then we saw he's powerful. God can do whatever he wants. He's got all the power, right? He, hey, hey, do you realize this? God spoke the whole world. Last time I checked, the planet's kind of big, okay? And then not just the world, but the whole universe. Last time I checked, was even bigger, okay? But he spoke the whole thing into existence out of nothing. Boom! It's just too bad that our problems are too big for him to handle. God is so powerful, man. He could, he could do whatever he, he could solve any problem. He could meet any need. He could save anybody he wants, okay? That's how powerful he is. And then he's not only that, he's holy. In fact, it's the only attribute we've been seeing that God, a mention of God that's repeated three times for emphasis. God is holy. He is holy. He is holy, which means without sin, okay? 
And uh, then we saw the last four times. The seventh thing, God is what? He is love. God is not loving. God is not lovable. God is love itself. And so we've been tearing this apart, taking a look from the Bible. What, what is this? Because it's like a big, giant diamond, right? A big old diamond. But diamonds, as you know, okay, it's multifaceted. It's all one piece, but there's just different facets. It's the same thing when I take a look in the Scripture, me personally, when you look at God's love. It's multifaceted. It's one truth. God is love. But there's several different facets of it that when you start to take a look at each individual one, it's, it's mind-blowing. Okay, and we unfortunately seem to have a warped view of God's kind of love. But we've already been seeing so far that God uh, demonstrates that he is love itself by giving us mercy. He gives us compassion. He gives us kindness. And last time he gives us graciousness. Okay, if you recall that and we saw that out of graciousness, God not only gives us, listen, the grace to get saved. Anybody excited about that? But remember the bombshell we saw? God continues to give us his grace after we're saved. Okay, to what? To listen, to obey him, to serve him, and to love him. What? You would think we would naturally, automatically do that. We've been saved by God's graciousness from hell. You'd think you'd want to obey him and serve him, but sometimes we don't. And so God says, you know what? I'm even going to give you that. Isn't that mind-blowing? That kind of love is humbling. Okay, and that's the kind of love that the scripture talks about. Now, we're, we're going to continue on that same theme uh, today, and we're going to see this one, okay? The fifth way the Bible reveals that God is love, God also gives us patience, right? And, and that's what happens when you become a doctor. You get lots of patience. No, wrong one, Bobby. I know you were thinking that. I had to clarify that for you. No, patience. Oh, the patience of God is phenomenal. But as always, don't take my word for it. Let's listen to his. Second Peter is our opening text here. Second Peter chapter 3. If you find uh, the book of Revelation, what do you do? Hang a left, that's right. 2 Peter chapter 3, we're going to read verses 5 through 9. Now, we're talking about God's patience in general in this context here. And uh, verses 3, and, uh, or chapter 3, uh, 5 through 9. And uh, you talk about amazing patience, okay? And there's talking about what God puts up with in order to save people, okay? He doesn't condone sin, but man, is he patient, okay? For a good reason, okay? But let's take a look at that text. And as you're ready to go, let's go ahead and stand as we read God's word. Okay, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 5, what's it say? But they what? Deliberately forget. What's that mean? With all due respect, one guy translate that, dumb on purpose, right? In the context, even though you got plenty of proof that God exists and plenty of proof that you take a look around the planet, God judges planet one time with a worldwide flood. That should get your attention. But no, 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 I deliberately refuse to look at that evidence. That's the context of what he's talking about. But they what? They deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. And by these waters also, the world of that time was what? Deluged and destroyed. And by the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of ungodly men. But don't forget this. Pay attention. Uh, this one thing, dear friends, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. What's he talking about? God is above and beyond time. Genesis 1-1, right there in the very first word. In the beginning, God created uh, the heavens and the space and, and time. It's right there. Time, space, matter. God created even time itself. God is above and beyond time. God is eternal. So he can see the beginning from the end. So it's not like he's late. He's never late. He can't be late. God sees the whole realm of time all at the same time. And that's what he says. Listen, time is irrespective to God. And, and so don't sit there and say, in essence, the Lord is slow in keeping his promise. He says, no, you can't say that. Okay. As some understand slowness. He's what? God is patient with you. Why? 
Because he doesn't want anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. You may be seated. Okay. But we can see here in opening text the patience of God. We basically got some good news and you got some not so good news. Okay. And the not so good news is God is not done punishing mankind for your wickedness, right? You would think that a worldwide global flood where everybody was completely wiped out, save eight people, would kind of get your attention. And even though we see all evidence of this, we dealt with this in our creation studies for 42 weeks, okay, that there's tons of evidence that God judges planet one time, and people say, hey, if God judged the planet then, and he says he's going to do it again, I better get right with him, right? That's the logical conclusion. But what was the problem with the hardness of man's heart? Even though there's tons of evidence, what's the reaction? They deliberately forget, oh, no, I'm not, no, 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 I'm not going to look at it. So even though... God has given you evidence that he judged the planet once. He's going to do it again. You better get right before it's too late. People deliberately forget. God is going to punish mankind once again, unfortunately, for his wickedness. The first time was a flood. The second time it's going to be with the fire. But praise God, what's the good news? In the text, in spite of man's continual wickedness, even rebellion against his proof, you better wake up and get saved before it's too late. In spite of man's continual wickedness, God is what? What's the word there? He is patient. Now, God is not the author of sin. Of course not. That goes against what we saw in his holiness. And God doesn't condone sin. Sin is sin. It's wrong. But the scripture says God is patient. He is patient with mankind. If you will, he's putting up with it. He's not accepting it. He's not condoning it. But he's putting up with it. Why? Day after day after day. Because he doesn't want anybody to perish. Because God is love. Okay, and he's patient. He doesn't want anybody to perish. He wants people to repent and get right before it's too late. Now, I don't know about you, but have you realized that's what God was doing with each one of us, myself included, up until the point we got saved. God was patient with me for 25 years until I got saved. God wasn't condoning one ounce of the sin that I was involved in, but he was patient. He didn't accept it. He didn't like it, but he was patient. He was putting up with me. Finally, finally, there, there, boom, I got saved. Because he wanted me saved. He, he, he loved me. He loves everyone. The scripture says God takes no delight in the death of the wicked. He takes no pleasure in people going to hell. God is patient. And so if you're still alive and still breathing, you better celebrate his patience. But you better respond to it. Because one day you're going to take your last breath. And it's too late. He's patient. He doesn't want anybody to, pay, uh, to, to perish. He wants everybody to get saved. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that an amazing aspect of God's love? I mean, think about it. I mean, how many times have you given your kids a warning? I lost count. <laughs> okay, right? You give them warning, right? And then they still don't do it. And they still don't respond. You give them warning. I mean, at some point, you say, that's it. I, that's it. I mean, it's tempting. I, I cut you off. That's it. No more favor. No more nothing. How much more God? How many times has he got a warrant? Listen, listen, I love you. I want a relationship with you. I did it all through my, I sent my son Jesus to die on the cross for you. I, I give you all this evidence. I, I, I cannot tolerate sin. And I judge this planet once because of sin. I'm going to do it again. Would you please respond? How many warnings do you, oh, no, I'm not going to look at it. No, no, no. Just like a little kid, right? And then if it's up to us, what would we do? I cut you off, man. I'm done with you. Get out of here but not God. And God does this to everybody in the whole planet all at the same time. Isn't that amazing? That's amazing love. God is patient with us. He doesn't condone sin, but he puts up with it because he's hoping that people would get saved. 
Amazing love, okay? So we're going to tear this patient aspect apart because what we're going to see is this is only half the story. It's not just that God is patient with us until we get saved, okay? Did you realize that God is patient with us after we get saved? Have you noticed that? Because I don't know if you've noticed this, and I'm sure it's only these people sitting in this row. Sorry. But after you get saved, you still blow it. Have you noticed that? Raise your hand if, you, if you're blowing it since you got saved. Those who didn't raise your hand, you just lied, so we're all even. Okay? No, <laughs> it happens. Not condoning it. Not saying it's right. But it happens. God gives us patience. Oh, when you start to tear this down, his patience isn't just amazing up until we get saved. Oh, we, it's amazing, right? And we need to emulate that uh, amongst ourselves. But let me break it down for you. The first way the Bible reveals the patience of God after we get saved, listen to this every single day. You know what God puts up with? He puts up with our continual slavery. What? Yeah, continual slavery, even though we don't have to. Okay? Let's take a look at that text, okay? And this is from the Apostle Paul. Here's what he says, Romans chapter 6. This is fantastic news. I remember the first time I came across this after I got saved, coming out of so much sin myself. And listen to this freeing, wonderful, great news statement. Romans 6, 1 through 2, 6 through 7. Well, then, Paul says, what should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his kindness and forgiveness? The answer is... No, are you kidding me? In fact, what Paul say? Are you, of course not. By no means. Are you kidding me? Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Right? Our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that the sin might what? Lose its power in our lives. We're no longer, listen, do you understand this? We are no longer slaves to sin. See, I didn't say this, God did. This is part of being saved and being indwelled the Holy Spirit. We're no longer slaves to sin. For we died with Christ and we were set free from the power of sin. And it's like how many of us Christians miss the whole package that calls, if you will, the fullness of salvation, right? We, we get the fact that we're saved from the penalty of sin. What's that? That's hell. And we get that. But do you realize that the same scripture says we're also, before we get to heaven, okay, which is the, we're getting free from this place of sin, we get to escape this sinful earth. Okay? But the Bible says that we're set free from the power of sin. We don't have to sin. When it comes to the issue of sin, Jesus not only came to forgive us of it, he came to set us free from it. Think of what this means. It means that for the first time, truly so. You talk about hope. You talk about blessing. You talk about encouragement. I mean, because you ever been sitting there and you think, oh, I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to quit this sin. I, I, I'm a, I, I can't stop and there's no hope. I guess, I guess I'm just always going to. No! The scripture comes in and says, listen, through the ability of the Holy Spirit, which you receive at the moment of salvation, you don't have to sin. Any sin, you, no sin has to have complete control over you. Now, we demonstrate that unfortunately we don't live that way, but what's the scripture say? You don't have to. So don't let anybody come up to you, Christian, and say, well, you know, I guess you're always just going to be, you know, stuck in that sin. Some people, that's their cross to bear. Excuse me? We are no longer slaves to sin. We don't have to sin like we used to. We're no longer, we have a choice. And more importantly, we have the power via the Holy Spirit to truly pull it off. See, that was our problem before. We couldn't. But now we do have the power to pull it off. We don't have to be a slave to sin. Okay, now that's the good news. Okay, that's what Christ has come to do with this. Okay, but what's amazing is what do we do? Even though God has even not only saved us and forgiven us for our sins, but he set us free from being a slave to sins. What is our practice? 
and we still continue to sin. See, it's not just being forgiven of sin, you still do it. He forgives us the sins, and then he even gives us the power to just say no to sin and not be a slave to sin, and yet we still do it. Isn't that mind-blowing? We still do it. Wow. And here's the point. You would think that somebody who has been freely forgiven of all their sins, past, present, and future, were saved and rescued from hell, you'd want to naturally stop sinning against the person who set you free. But what do we see? Even after all God's done for us, even though he's not just forgiven us of sin, he's given us the ability to truly be free from sin. We still say yes to sin. And we still say yes to sin again and again and again. I mean, it's simple in the scripture. I just read it for you, Ephesians 6. It's just, it's God's simple math. You don't have to sin. It's about as easy and plain as day as two plus two equals four. That's what it is. You don't have to. Unfortunately, what we do is we turn around and we listen to Satan. He's going, okay, you can still do this. It's about as goofy, with all due respect, as this little guy. How many guys have ever had a friend like this? Let's take a look at this. Oh, come on, dude. No, no, no. It's not okay. It's three. But this is what God has done. He's made it so simple in the scriptures. Listen, I know he forgave you all your sins. You don't have to sin. I've set you free from that horrible thing. It's easy. It's simple math. Two plus one equals. But what do we do? We look around. We go. And Satan's back there going, okay. <laughs> and then we put. And, and as we're laughing and shaking our heads, you know. I wonder, God looking down at us as his kids. It's like, what more do I got to do? It's simple math. You don't have to do it. And then we keep writing, okay. And God must be shaking his head at us, okay? But imagine this, imagine. I mean, God's made all this provision, not just for forgiveness. I don't have to do it, and we keep doing it, and okay. And... But what's wild is the Bible talks about this kind of repetitive behavior going back to sin. And the Bible uses very graphic language, okay? Let's take the first uh, key to this. This is wild, okay? Second Peter uh, chapter 2 now. Verse 21 through 22, he says, listen, it would be better if they had never known the right way to live than to know it and reject the holy commandments that were given to them, okay? In fact, they, those people who do that, they make these Proverbs come true. Listen, a dog returns to its vomit. Wow. That's some serious language in the scripture. And the Bible says, listen, when we keep on sinning again and again and again and again and again, even after we've been saved, uh, even though God's given us a provision, we don't have to, so you can't say, oh, I can't help myself. No, he's giving you that provision, and yet you still do it. The scripture says, listen, as crazy as it sounds, it's actually like you are choosing vomit over God. Hey, no, no, you're choosing a pile of puke over Jesus Christ. And put this back together in a relational, and this is when it first hits me. You go back to the relational aspect, right? Because we've got a relationship with God, right? And so I go back into we're God's children. So I'm a dad, so I look at my kids. Uh, uh, last week was in Canada, right? Didn't get to see my family for about a good four days or so, right? Missed my family. Missed my wiener dunks too, but I missed my family. And my wife, she's over there. 
him, but I miss my family, right? I want to see my kids, right? You know, can you imagine if this was the response, my kids, right? I'm coming home, I haven't seen you, open up the door, and they go, hey, Dad, how you doing? But you know what? I ain't got time. Dad, we fed the dogs chicken. They're puking up all over the backyard, and so we're going to go back there with that vomit. This is awesome. I'll get with you later, Dad, because this vomit is just wow. Now, first of all, if my kids really did that, Man, we need some prayer. Okay, number one. <laughs> but can you imagine if they really did that? I mean, they were serious. They weren't joking, because we joke a lot in my house. First of all, wow. But I can see a computer game or something, but a pile of vomit? I can see if your friends are over, but a pile of vomit? Over dad? What are you doing? This is what the scripture says that we're doing when we keep going back to sin. No excuse. Because God gave you the Holy Spirit. You don't have to. It's like we're saying, Jesus, hey, thank you. But you know what? Right now, I don't have time to spend with you. I'm going to go play with this vomit. Isn't that convicting? That's why. Oh, we're just getting started. The Bible uses massive amounts of analogies. Paul uses another one. He uses a particular phrase uh, in Romans, okay, to describe his joy of being set free from this endless cycle of, oh, sin, oh, oh. Right, And he uses this phrase, it's called, he says, praise be to God who rescued me from this body of death. Remember that in Romans, right? Very classic passage there. Now, we usually don't get what's going on there because we don't understand what's Paul talking about with this body of death. Well, let's take a look at a Roman custom, and I think it makes sense. He says this, it's reported that there was an actual Roman custom that sentenced convicted murderers to an especially gruesome execution. Their unique sense of justice included strapping the dead body of the person they murdered on the back of the murderer. Yeah. And then the criminal would be forced to drag the decomposing corpse with him wherever they went. And then, of course, it's dead and decomposing the body on your back, strapped to you. In just a few days, which doubtless seemed like an eternity to the convicted man, the decay of the person he had killed would eventually start to infect his own body until he was killed in return. And it is believed that this was the torture that Paul had in mind when he expressed his joy. Woo! Praise be to God who rescued me from this body of death. Now, there's lots of weird things to do on a Saturday afternoon. You ever hit that boredom level and you're just like, man, I, what? <laughs> you could do all kinds of strange stuff. But me personally, I don't know. Strapping a dead body on your back ain't one of them. It never makes it on my list. Okay, because that's just gross, it's weird, okay, but that's the verbiage that Paul is using. And, and, he, and, and listen, what he says, whether you realize it or not, when we keep sinning again and again and again, we should rejoice in this truth. Whoa, Romans 6, right? Romans 7, we, we, we're no longer slaves to sin. I don't have to have that old man tempting me, decaying me, destroying me with sin again and again and infecting me. God has set me free from that. That's why Paul's reaching, whoa, praise be to God. I don't have to walk around with a dead body on my back. <laughs> That's what he's saying. And yet, what do we do? Wow. We not only choose vomit over Christ. This is the second analogy from the scripture. When we keep going back to sin, we're choosing a dead body over God. We're choosing a corpse, a decaying, stinking corpse over Jesus Christ. 
And again, put that in the context. Let's go back to my family. I'll use us for another example. Hey, just got back from Canada. I can't wait to see you guys. Wife and kids. Woohoo! Yeah. Hey, I open up the door. Hey, family. And they all bolt to the backyard. My kids are out there. Hey, Dad, sorry, I can't spend time with you. Let's vomit. It's awesome. This is incredible. Hey, honey, where are you? Forget the kids. We got to pray for them. Uh, hey, sorry, honey, can't get with you. I got this dead corpse in the backyard. This is fun. When I'm done playing with a dead body, I'll spend time with you. It's funny, but it's so convicting. But that's the, I'm not making this up. This is the verbiage in the scripture. Now, let's be honest. If that was you, and you came home from a trip, and your kids are in the backyard playing with vomit instead of you, and your wife's hanging out with a dead corpse, how many guys would close the door and start walking down the street? <laughs> I'm done with you. How much more than God? He hasn't just made a way through Jesus Christ that we could be forgiven of our sins. Before we get to heaven, he gives us the Holy Spirit so that we are set free from the power of sin. I don't have to sin. I truly have the ability to say no and pull it off by the Spirit's power to any sin. And yet we still do it. How much more should God close the door on us and walk down the street. Now, all that sets you up for this. Praise God, God's not like you and I. He's patient. He's patient. He doesn't condone this behavior, of course not. But he loves us. And he demonstrates that by putting up with this day after day after day, still working with us, still wooing us, still trying to get us to live into the freedom that he's won for us every day. Isn't that amazing? It's not just that he's patient until we get saved. Man, he is patient after we're saved. Amen? And that's just the first thing we do. The second thing we do, okay, the Bible reveals the patience of God is he puts up with our uh, continual idolatry. Got to have this stuff, man. Got to have it. Huh? Know what the commercials say? Got to have it. You want to have a fulfilling life? You got to have it. Let's take a look at what the Bible says when we commit that idolatry, okay? It's a clear warning from John. Here's what he says, 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 through 16. Stop loving this evil world and all that it offers to you. Why? Because it's a serious issue. You might be able to fool me, right? But we can never fool God. For when you love this world, Christian, you show that you do not have the what? You don't have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only the lust for physical pleasure, the lust for everything we see, and the pride in our possessions. Woohoo! Yeah, these are not from the Father. They're from this evil world. Wow. So now we see, the Bible says when it comes to this issue of idolatry, because that's what's happening when you love things, when you love something more than God. Whatever gives your time, affection, treasure, your talents, whatever you're devoting yourself to, that's your God. And if it's things, if it's things in this world, that's your God. That's idolatry. Okay? But when it comes to idolatry, Jesus not only came to forgive us of it, he came to tell us to what? I don't, this is no secret Greek here. This is not the southern Hebrew there is no such thing, Bobby. Uh, you know, it's plain as day. Stop loving this world. Why? Because it's a serious issue. When you do that, God's watching that, and basically your heart loves that more than God and how that must hurt. Wow. Stop loving this evil world. I saved you. I saved you for a better place. Heaven. Heaven's what? Heaven. The pavement in heaven 
is the thing that everybody's running the rat race trying to get more and more of. It's called gold. This, we get to exist in a place we walk on gold and the gates are made of solid pearls and the foundation. It's so beautiful and decked out. That's what we're saved for. That's what God won for us. Why would we? This down here is like the bottom of a garbage can compared to what God's won for us in heaven. I says, listen, and before you get there, I want a relationship with you. I want to spend time with you. Don't, no, don't, don't give your heart to this world. I saved you from it. We're in this world, just not of it. But when you keep doing that, we're choosing this over God. We keep loving things more and more. God says, don't do that. Don't do that. They're stealing your heart away from me. I, want, I got a relationship with you. Don't, please, don't. But we keep doing it anymore. And, and that's what they do. I mean, it's all the commercials, right? Hey, you thought you had a great life? No, you don't. Not until you buy this car. You got to have these clothes. You got to be all this stuff, right? And it looks so good. Oh, try this. This is so incredible. It looks so good. It's so fantastic. Oh, it's so good for you. So nutritious and incredible. And then you pop the thing open and bang, here comes the lie. It never satisfies. In fact, how many times do we have to go through this before we realize, stop, listen to this world. It's gross, right? It might look good on the outside, but that doesn't mean you need to eat it. Like this guy, watch this. somebody now it makes sense don't eat the banana okay and by the way for those of you if you were planning on let me just be honest with you if you were planning on making that banana pudding for the dessert cook-off contest change your recipe you're going to get last place sorry but <laughs> can you believe that <laughs> yuck i like bananas but that's bad that's oh that's bad but see that's the delusion that's going on here that's what the world does to you and i Right? Oh, it looks good. See, the, this thing. You got to have this thing. It's so, it's so nutritious for you and it looks great. And, and then we go, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it's like, okay, then you start to see it and bang, it pops out and it doesn't satisfy. And then you go, no, no, try this banana. This one will be good. Yeah, it looks good. And how many times we got to go through this? And that's what God says. Oh, the world, it's got glamour, it's got glitz. Oh, pride in your possession. <laughs> But inside, there's a spider. 
sin. And all this is a trap to steer your heart away from God. Don't do it. Don't do it. Looks nice on the outside. Oh, it's all you need. You just need more. You just need to have more of this stuff. And, and another banana and another banana. And try this one. One guy, he puts it this way. What you will do for this stuff instead of God. Leo Tolstoy, he wrote a story about a successful peasant farmer who wasn't satisfied in his lot in life. He said, I had to have more stuff. And he wanted more of everything, okay? And one day, he actually received this offer. Listen to this. For 1,000 rubles, he could buy all the land he could walk around in one day. Now, the catch was, uh, the deal was, he had to be back at the starting point by sundown. So, early the next morning, he starts out, and he's walking at a fast pace, right? And, you know, because the more he walks, the more land he gets. And even though by midday, he was getting really tired, he just kept on going. He covered more and more and more ground. Well, well into the afternoon, he realized that his greed had taken really far from the starting point there. And so he quickened his pace. And as the sun began to sink low in the sky, and he, he realized he had to make it back before sundown or he's going to lose the whole thing, all the land he just gained. And so he began to run faster and he began to run faster. And, and just as the sun began to sink low in the horizon, he came, he, he could see the finish line. And he's gasping for breath and his heart's pounding. He, he called upon every last bit of strength in his body. He staggers across the finish line just before the sun appeared. <gasps> However, he immediately collapsed, blood streaming from his mouth, and in a few minutes, he was dead. And the story goes like this. Afterwards, his servants dug him a grave. And the man, he got his land all right. It was about six feet long and three feet wide. And the title of Tolstoy's story was, How Much Land Does a Man Need? How much is enough? How many bananas do you need in life? How many things do you need? Yeah, none's the correct answer. And how sad it is, though, we all joke about this, the rat race of life, because in order to get all these bananas and the things in this world that the commercials say we got to have, what are you going to do? You've got to run faster and faster and faster. And if you can't wait because you've got to have it now, instant gratification. Hey, don't worry. Just charge it on the card. Then you go into debt. Debt, if you haven't learned, stands for dumb excuses for buying things. Excuse me? And then now you're, whoa, now you're a slave to the debt. So now you've got to run faster and faster. And we're running this rat race trying to kill ourselves to pay off all these stupid bananas. Having a heart attack all along the way. Just like that man, we keep running faster and faster and faster, and there's less time for God and less time for God and less time for God and less time for God. It's all a trap because your heart got steered away. When we keep loving things again and again, even after being saved, we are in essence choosing, listen, an early grave over God. Sorry, God. I, hey, thanks for saving me from hell, man. That's woohoo, yeah. But you know what? I'm just going to keep running after these things. It's so much so that I'm literally going to physically kill myself and die. I'd rather do that than spend time with... See, that's the conviction. That's what we're doing. Paul. Don't you just love Paul? Paul even used sarcasm. I like that. Because <laughs> I use sarcasm all the time. But he uses a really graphic term when it comes to loving things more than God. Listen, this is, this is wild, okay? And, and here's what he says in this text, right? And uh, Paul says, Philippians chapter 3, verse 7 to 8, right? But what pro whatever was to my profit, I now consider what? Loss 
for the sake of Christ, right? Hey, I don't care what I had before. Nothing compares to knowing Jesus Christ, right? Following him, living for him. And that's what he says. What is more, I consider everything a, a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for, for whose sake I've lost all things. In fact, I consider them what? Rubbish that I may gain Christ. Now, i got to expand on this for you because some translations, including that one, uh, I, I don't know, and maybe they're trying to soften it or whatever, but you know what that word really is? Rubbish is actually the Greek word skubalon, right? And it hasn't to do with that cartoon, Bobby. It has nothing to do with Scooby-Doo. Okay, skubalon literally means this. Listen, it means, quote, the excrement of animals. It's not trash. It's not refuge. It's not just rubbish. It's to use the vernacular, dog dung. Dog dung. And so now put it together. Paul's saying, listen, whether you realize it or not, I mean, after being saved from hell, there's nothing better than knowing Jesus Christ, right? And we get to know him before we even get to heaven. We get to grow in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Whoa, whoa, there's nothing that can beat that. He says, but when you don't live like that, and when you chase after things, you know what you're saying? Hey, Jesus, yeah, thank you for saving me. But I got a pile of dog dung right over here. And man, is this awesome. That's what he said. I didn't say it. Scuba on. That's what the Greek word says. Isn't that wise? Wow. Let's go back to my family. I was two blocks down the street. I decided to come back. I can't give up on my family. I know my wife's back there playing with a dead body. My kids are checking out vomit, and they fed the dogs chicken. But So I go back in the house. They're still in the backyard. I thought I'd give them another chance. Well, of course, you feed the dogs chicken. They're not going to puke. They're going to... And that's all over the yard. Hey, guys, I'm going to give you another chance. Right? I'm here. I'm back. I want to spend some time with you. Hey, Dad, sorry. There's dog dung all over the backyard. Hey, Mom, come on over here. Check it out. Yeah, convicting when we after all Christ has done for us we are in essence saying hey thanks for everything but man this vomit and these dead bodies and this dog dung all over the place I'll get back with you later isn't that wild now from man's perspective what should God do because that's, that's, that's how he's viewing it. In comparison to knowing Christ, that's what we're doing. What would we do? Nuke you on the spot, man. I'm done with you. I mean, that's the lowest of low. You would actually choose vomit, a dead body, and a pile of dung, dung over me. Anybody glad that God's not like us? See, now here comes the medicine. He's patient. <laughs> Praise God, he's patient. Can you believe this? He's not only patient with us up until we get saved, even after we even do this stuff. Every day, he opens up that door again. Okay, you guys ready to put the vomit, dead bodies, and dog dung down? You ready for a relationship with me? <gasps> Here comes the next day. All right, you guys ready today? Maybe today you want to spend some time with me? Oh, <sighs> He doesn't condone it, and it's got to break his heart. <sighs> Praise God, he's patient. 
You starting to appreciate it? Yeah, slightly. Okay, one more to go. The third way, the Bible reveals the patience of God. He puts up with our continual harlotry. What? Yeah, because it's a spiritual prostitution that Scripture uses. Uh, other translations, they'll use that old-fashioned word, harlot. But let's take a look at that test. Harlotry, spiritual prostitution. What is going on here? Let's take a look. God's using this word. I'm not. Deuteronomy 31, 16 through 17. And the Lord said to Moses, you are going to rest with your fathers and these people. Okay, as far as these people, listen. They're going to what? They will, God sees it all. He knows. They're going to soon prostitute themselves to the foreign gods of the land they are entering. They will forsake me and break the covenant I made with them. And on that day, I will become angry with them and forsake them. I will hide my face from them and they will be destroyed. Turn to somebody and say, praise God, we're under the new covenant. Okay? Because God takes this very seriously. Okay, when it comes to the issue of harlotry, spiritual prostitution, that's what it is, i.e. selling yourself out to this wicked world system, you're choosing all these things, including vomit and dead bodies and dog dung, over God, that's spiritual prostitution. You'd rather do that. You're selling yourself. God doesn't like it. In the Old Testament, very, very, very angry. And again, because you think, again, he saved us from hell. He's forgiven us of everything we've ever done. He's won heaven for us. He's given us everything we need for life and godliness, the scripture says. The Holy Spirit to say no to sin. His word to know the truth. We have no excuse. And before we get to heaven, he dwells with us intimately every day. He just wants to spend time with us. And it's like, hey, thanks for making me a part of your bride. But before our wedding day, let me go sell myself out like a prostitute. Breaking the heart of God. Not just Israelites, even we Christians sell ourselves out to this wicked world system. We spend our time, our treasure, our talents, our tongues lusting after the glamour and the glitz this world has to offer. It's called the American dream, but it's not God's dream. It's Satan's nightmare. And from God's perspective, watching his kids do this, his bride, must grieve him. In fact, not just the act itself, but this will destroy you living like this and how that must grieve God's heart. What does it look like when somebody prostitutes themselves before the world system? Well, see if you can guess who this guy is. He was a native of Vegas. All, all he ever wanted in life was more, right? He wanted more money, right? And so he turned uh, some inherited wealth into a billion-dollar pile of assets. And he, he wanted more fame. So he broke into the Hollywood scene and soon became a filmmaker and a star. And he wanted more sensual pleasures. So he, he paid handsome sums to indulge his every sexual urge. And he wanted more thrills. So he designed, built, and piloted the fastest aircraft in the world. And he, he wanted more power. And so he dealt political favors so skillfully that two U.S. presidents became his pawns. All he ever wanted was more. And in fact, he was absolutely convinced that more, this world system, would bring him true satisfaction. Unfortunately, history shows otherwise. 
This same man ended his life, listen, emaciated and colorless. His chest was sunken in. His fingernails were grotesque, imp-swung corkscrews. Okay, his body was rotting, full of tumors. His teeth were black. His arms were full of needle marks uh, from his drug addiction. He died, listen, a billionaire, all right, but a billionaire junkie. Insane by all reasonable standards. His name, of course, was Howard Hughes, a man who died... Believing the myth of more. Wow. Anybody not want to end up like that in life? I think that's an easy question. But if we don't want to end up like Howard Hughes, even as a Christian, then why are so many Christians still living for this world system? With this myth of more. God's taking care of us. He's giving you food and clothes and a place to live. But that ain't enough. You gotta have more. More. More, more, more. We give all of our time, our treasure, our talents, our tongues to everything else in this world, but not God. And He sees the whole thing. And in essence, what we're doing is we're choosing an emaciated, colorless life over God. No, no, no. Hey, God, you know what? I, I, I'm choosing insanity over Christianity. That's not only a goofy decision. That's a dangerous, deadly decision. Like this guy. Don't be like this guy. Let's take a look. So I enjoy scaring my wife. I'm going to hide in a pile of leaves. Wish me luck. fortunate to escape with his life. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it sounded funny, sounded cool. Boy, it's definitely a guy thing, right? Something fun to do, man. But he learned the hard way, don't you ever prank your wife. Turn to somebody and say, she gonna kill you. <laughs> okay, she gonna kill you good, right? Okay. <laughs> Put all this together. How is this any different than the choices we make every day right, as Christians and we continue to commit Slavery to sin when we don't have to. Idolatry instead of God. Harlotry. We sell ourselves out to this wicked world system. You really think it's not going to kill us spiritually? You stir it all together. In essence, every day when we live like this as Christians, we don't have to. What we're doing is we're sending this message to Jesus. Hey, Jesus, woo, yes. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for forgiving me of all my sins. Thank you for giving your life on the cross. Rescuing me from hell, but I'm sorry, I don't have time to spend with you. I don't have time to live with you. I can't, you know what? I just, I, right now, I gotta spend time with vomit, corpses, caskets, dog dung, and oh, by the way, I'm in the driveway. Honey, run me over. Do it again. Back it up. Wow. How that must hurt. That somebody would actually choose all that, as graphic as it is, over God. 
Aren't you glad he's not like us? <laughs> Aren't you glad that God is patient? And every day, whether we're choosing vomit one day, a dead corpse another day, pile of dung another day, getting run over by a truck another day, every day, God is saying, how about today? Will you come to me today? Will you spend your time, treasure, talents, and tongues with me today? Would you come hang with me today? Hoping that today would be the day. Let's be the church that not only appreciates that God is love, but with this aspect of his patience, let us live it. And as convicting as it is, let this be a springboard that we can be that church that says, you know what? I'd rather spend time with Jesus than a pile of this or a pile of that or getting run over by a truck. Let's be the church that shows that we're thankful that God is love. Amen? Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven. And that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness or the wrong things that we have done have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin or unholiness uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma, even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy. We're not perfect like him. Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal. Okay, how many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay, well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief. Okay, the Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey, folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word? Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy, okay? And folks, let's be honest, we've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you, that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred 
is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that and it's just as bad. He knows the mind. He knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God. And you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn. We, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it. And a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a of death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did, because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it, and they can't earn it, if he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell, and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon, 
But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that right now? Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and, and Get a Life Ministries. And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. Uh, our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.